Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So, um, we're in, uh, last week we started a new series called Return. And it's in this season of Lent leading up to Easter that the church around the world historically has taken to say, let's set aside this season leading up to Easter as a call back to God. Because life can get busy, life we can get unfocused. Um, and this is, this is a time for us to be able to like strip away distractions so that when Easter comes and the resurrection celebration is there, we have a fuller celebration of Jesus' life and his victory over death. So we wanted to jump into that stream this year, and we're doing it with a series that we're calling Return. We're looking at six of the 12 minor prophets. They're called minor because they wrote little bitty books instead of the major prophets that wrote big books in the Old Testament. So six of these 12 minor prophets, they all have this, um, they all have this theme of saying return to God, of calling the people back to God, of saying repent, turn around, change your mind, and come back to God. And so last week, Justin talked about Hosea and the idea of coming back, coming back to life, of the way that we have a tendency to walk toward death and to walk toward a life where we think it'll add to us, but it actually strips us and it leaves us empty. And, and Hosea's call from God to come back and to come back to life, to return to life. And we're going to be walking through Joel and Amos and Habakkuk, Jonah and Malachi in the next few weeks. And each of them have a return call. And each of them is a little bit different. So Joel today, we're going to talk about the call to return to the Father. Amos is a call to return to love. Not just a a call to uh, receiving love, but returning to being a people that give love, offer love, and pursue justice. We're going to, with Habakkuk, uh, Kirsten talked about Habakkuk a couple weeks uh, back and how moved she was by God saying, I'm doing a new thing here. And Habakkuk is a beautiful book in the Old Testament. That, and I think the call is return to trust. Nothing may change, but return to trust in God. Know who has you. Jonah is a return to God's heart. And we get... Uh, bitter against people when we start to call people our enemy and we don't want the best for them. And Jonah's call, even in his uh, less than perfect example, is a return to God's heart toward others. And then Malachi is a return to worship. Not just kind of offering our uh, lukewarm efforts in worship, but to offering our best, offering everything of who we are in worship to the king. And so I'm I'm excited in this series, in this call to return. My goal today is that you would hear a call to return, and it would repentance would take the form of an invitation. Often repentance is seen as a bad word, or like a, I'm going to beat you up, and I'm going to uh, beat you down, and look how bad you've been, and I just want to hit you until you realize how bad you've been, so that you realize that God is better. And in Joel, I want you to see 
that the call to repentance is an invitation. And the invitation to return is lay it all down. What the burden that you've been carrying, the devastation that you've been walking in, you don't have to anymore. And I want you to lay it down. That's what repentance looks like uh, in Joel. So we'll look at that today. I remember um, in 1985, I was eight years old. And I was attending my grandfather's funeral. And it's um, the hardest I've ever seen my dad cry was when he went up to sign the guest book. And he looked at all of the different names of people who had signed it. And it, his dad's death started to sink in right there in that moment. And he wailed. And I kind of, at eight years old, had to take a little step back. Like, I've never heard that noise before. Uh, it was startling. And it was um, shocking to me. And at eight years old, I started to understand uh, the pain that this life can offer. Joel takes another uh, step, a, a little bit different look at pain. I want to show you a picture today, a couple of pictures in Senegal, because it ties into where Joel starts. Can you, uh, can you grab the lights? Dave, can you put up those pictures of the grain bank? Do we have those? So in, in Goodell... Uh, part of our partnership and part of our working with the village that uh, Damascus Road has been, we've been doing for two years. This is actually a 15-year partnership with Community Church in Fond du Lac. And one of the projects was to build this grain bank that you see behind me. Can you show the, the inside of it? So these are stainless steel silos. And uh, this is meant so that when the harvest comes in, they could bank it. They could put it there. They could put surplus in. And when the harvest comes in, that's the cheapest time of year to buy grain. So they filled the silos. And we, we, we were able to pay for the grain bank to be built, the silos to be put in, and the silos to be filled. Because famine uh, still happens in Senegal. And without this grain bank, there is a real risk of death. So they had it a number of years ago. There was a famine in the land, and because of the grain bank, people were able to come and buy grain and live. Joel starts with a famine. So can you grab the lights again? This is just a visual of something that is real, that's not just distant and far off. Uh, the Bible was written a long time ago in a land very, very far away, um, and sometimes we have we miss a cultural connection that this is real. So I want to jump into Joel, and it starts, it starts in the middle of famine and in the middle of devastation. This is what Joel says right at the beginning of the book. Joel 1 starts, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. 
And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. It starts, the book starts with here. I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention to what is going on. And I want you to talk with your children about it. I don't want you to hide it. In the same way, I think that my dad didn't hide his grief from me at eight years old when he could have tried to protect me from it. Joel says, listen and pay attention to what's going on and tell it to your children so that they tell it to theirs because it's bad. It's bad. And then he has this, it's poetry, so he has this uh, word picture of the famine spreading through the land. What this locust ate and left behind another wave of locusts came and ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate until nothing is left. And if you jump to the second chapter, actually in verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, it says, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the vine dries up, and the oil languishes. And it's this picture of ultimate uh, destruction. It's just wiped out. It's gone. The picture continues in chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them. Like before the locusts come, it's like Eden. He's going back all the way to creation and how beautiful it was. And this is, it's just gorgeous. And then the locusts come, he says, behind them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Joel is setting up what was happening for real in, uh, in the famine in the land, he's using it also as a metaphor of brokenness and devastation in our own lives. The people knew what it was. Senegal still knows what it is today, and we try to prepare against it. And the devastation comes. So this is not a happy way to start a sermon, but... I think it begs the question, do you know devastation? Have you walked it? Or are you walking it right now? I was thinking last night about the, uh, the text that I got on May 26th last year from Mike Holstead. I was saying something bad just happened, man. Victor just died. And Victor was, was he number three in a string of deaths what some people called overdosing, and some people just like, man, I don't know what's going on. People are dropping. And I remember very, very clearly getting out of my car and walking up to Mike in front of his house and how he fell into my arms. And the devastation of a loss of life. I mean, devastation takes all kinds of forms from... Uh, Victor and Sam and Brian dying to my grandpa's death uh, a, whole, a whole long time ago to watching my dad rolled into surgery for open heart surgery years ago. That was successful, but probably the scariest moment in my life. A friend of ours recently just got stage four cancer news. And like, that just shakes you. There are no words of, oh, it'll be okay. Like, at least you've got God. While true, in the moment, it can start to sound trite, right? You don't ignore 
devastation. Maybe your devastation has looked like uh, finding out that your spouse cheated on you or abuse. I was watching a documentary uh, with a woman who said, I was abused as a child and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know that was wrong. I was so young when it happened and of her coming to a point in life when somebody was, else was talking about their abuse and then the waves of devastation that hit her saying, that happened to me. Like, me too, all over again. And the waves and waves and waves that hit her. Maybe your devastation is sin in you that has you in prison. And you know it, and you've tried, you've tried to push it away, and you've tried to uh, turn around over and over and over and over, and it just, it just has you. In the end, devastation can turn to hopelessness. Where you don't look toward a future with hope. You look toward a future and you're like, I got nothing. If you know devastation, Joel is right there with you. What do you do in that moment? I love in 2 Chronicles 20, the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is king, and he's a good king in Judah. And he gets word that three armies are coming against them, and devastation is upon them. Like, it's coming, or it looks like it, at least. And he calls all people together, and they fast, and they pray, and then Jehoshaphat records this beautiful, beautiful prayer that ends with, Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are upon you. And I love, I love the heart of Jehoshaphat in that moment. I'm not hiding. I'm not pretending. I'm not saying it's all okay. I'm actually saying, I don't know, God, what to do, but I know to look to you. I know to look to you. If that's all I know right now, that's enough. I know to look to you. It happened earlier when the Israelites are leaving Egypt and Moses is at the lead and they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is quickly coming up upon them and they're stuck. And Moses has the audacity, he has the audacity to say something different, to say, look at them, look at the Egyptians and watch what God does because deliverance is coming. God will send his deliverance. And he's not pretending that it's not bad. He's not saying, uh, he's not saying God's going to make it all, all right. But God is here, and God will send deliverance today. And God will show you what it looks to trust in him. Joel faces into that. So chapter 1 opens in devastation. Chapter 1 opens with the locust coming, and it uses language like a uh, it's like an army marching down on them is what the locusts are. And in 2.12, it says, I love this, yet even now. So you've heard, um, you've heard the phrase like, but God, right? Like things are bad, but God can do something with it. Things are bad, but God has me. And I love that phrase, but God. This is like a but God times three. 
yet even now. Each one of those words could work on their own, right? Now do this, or even, even, even God can do this, or yet, but pull them together, and it's like this uh, trinity of words combining to say there's power coming. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And I love what, I love what God's message through Joel is here. He says, return, return with all your heart. Like fasting and weeping can be a part of it. You don't have to pretend that this is okay, and I certainly don't want you to just go on with life and uh, just kind of ignore this. There is a time, like Tony preached, for fasting, where you hear, you put yourself in position to hear from God through that discipline. There's a time for weeping, to not put a Christian smile on your face, but to just weep. And then God, what he says is, tear your heart. Rend your heart is tear your heart and not your garments. So this is, this is great. God is saying, you can have an outward expression of lament, but I, I want your hearts to be broken. And he's not doing it in a, because I want to beat you up kind of way, because I want you to deal with reality. I want you to face into it. I want you to let your hearts be broken and not try to stand strong up against it. Because when our hearts are broken, when we let our hearts be broken, I think that's when God can arrive strongest in our lives. God can show up when we're not trying to be strong ourselves. God's might has a way of overpowering our weakness. And he says, return to the Lord your God. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Yet, even now, return to God. Don't block him out. Verse two, or chapter 2, verse 18, says, as the people return to God, as they rip their hearts out to him, Verse 18 says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land, and he had pity on his people. His land is a metaphor for the people. It's kind of a, a couplet saying, for his land and for his people. Those are the two, two different ways of saying the same thing. He got jealous for his people, which means, like, I want you so bad. It's not a bitter boyfriend kind of jealousy, like, don't talk to him. It is, I am for you. And I want you to be mine. The song that we sang this morning, How He Loves, starts with, he is jealous for me. It's quoting Joel. Or it's referencing Joel right here. That's where it comes from. He is jealous for me. God wants me to be wrapped up in his love. He wants me to be included. He wants me to, help, me to be held. He wants me to be uh, safe with him. And he wants that for you. Do you know that God is jealous for you? Do you know that God loves you? That God 
delights in you, that he wants to wrap you up, that in the face of devastation, in the face of hard times, he's not standing back saying, well, you got yourself into a predicament this time. Fix it, and then we'll talk. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes life just has a way of turning sideways on you. And whatever it is, even when it's your fault, God is standing there jealous for you. He said, I want you back. I want you to come back. He's not disgusted and looking away. And saying, I can't believe how bad you messed up this time. I'm so ashamed. That is not God's face toward you. God is jealous for you. And whether the devastation is your doing or somebody else's doing or some kind of like cosmic perfect storm, God's face is toward you. And he's calling your name. He's jealous. It's like, it's like the story of the father that Jesus tells in, uh, in Luke 15. It says it's like a father who had two sons, and one of them misses the father by staying home and just wanting the good stuff of the father, but not really wanting the relationship. And the other one grabbed his inheritance and ran off and did whatever he wanted. And I love the words Jesus uses when he says, when he came to his senses, he had this call to go back, to return. He was going to do it in his own strength to say, let me work for you. Like, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me on as a hired servant, and I know life will be better than what it has been. And the father has nothing to do with that. The father picks up his dress uh, kind of outfit, and he runs. A disgraceful activity for an old man. Like, it's not a distinguished thing to do. And he says, I don't care about being distinguished. I will shame myself for my son. And he runs and he embraces him and he throws himself on him. And then he just celebrates. He's not celebrating his sin. He's not celebrating the, the devastation. He's celebrating the return and the sonship. That God is a father to you, calling to you. And even this morning, I want you to hear the call. If you're walking in a really hard time that you made for yourself, I want you to hear the call of God to come home. That he has open arms. If you're walking in a time that you didn't do, but it's really hard, I want you to hear his affection for you. That he may not like, just wrap everything up nice, nice and neat. But he's there. And he's with you. And, and even if you're not walking in what you might call devastation, but if you, if you have felt the slow wanderings away from God, I want you to hear him saying, I'm here. I'm for you. I'm with you, and I want you to return. I want you to come back to me. What you are carrying 
you don't have to carry by yourself. You don't have to fix it by yourself. You don't have to clean it up by yourself. I want you to come and I want you to lay it down. And I want to hold you. Last week in Senegal, it's amazing their, the culture of spirituality there that's kind of been deadened in our culture. Like we're very much into science and rationality and thought and principles and they have a heightened awareness of spirituality. And they're looking for it in, in all the wrong places a lot of time. Going to witch doctor after witch doctor um, and the Islamic faith, and they're, they're turning to places that cannot provide for them. But the number of people that will just come up to us and say, will you pray for me? Like we, showed a, we showed a video. We showed a video that they're using as an evangelistic tool to show the heart of God for people. And people are coming up afterward and saying, will you pray for me? I've got, I've got a mess. Uh, my body is broken. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray? And I remember Michael talking to a lady <clears throat> who's sitting down in front of us, and he's saying, Jesus offers healing, but he asks for your surrender. Like, you can't just use Jesus as one more trinket on a chain. Like, well, maybe this one will work. Jesus offers healing, but he wants your surrender. That's a different way of saying Lay it down. Quit trying to carry this all by yourself. Lay it down in front of Jesus and experience his presence. Experience his healing. And by the way, this is free. And by the way, this doesn't cost you your savings. It does cost you your heart. There's a kind of surrender there. I love what Joel says um, in chapter 2, verse 27. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. In the middle of the heartache, God says, I want to be so present that you will know I am in the midst. This is covenant language. We did this series called Covenant and Kingdom, saying God is with us, and he, he, uh, he enters into covenant relationship with us. That says, even on your worst day, God isn't backing up. God is leaning in. It says, I want you to know that I'm in the midst of whatever you're going through. And then in verse 28, one verse later, they look forward to a future that hasn't yet arrived. Joel writes, and it shall come to pass afterward. There's a day coming, writes Joel, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Joel says, through God, or God's saying through Joel, there is a day coming when my spirit is going to get poured out. It's not yet here. And, and when it comes, it's not just going to be sprinkled and scattered about you. It's going to be an outpouring. 
God says, of his spirit. And what happens in that day, Joel lists out prophecy and people dreaming dreams and visions, a spirit poured out. Prophecy is this, is a hearing from God, is hearing from God and being able to share that with other people. Dreaming dreams. Your old men dream dreams. You get, I love this because it's this picture of hopelessness. I don't even care to dream anymore. And there's a day coming, God says, when even your old men who are the seasoned, crusty, embittered sometimes, even they will dream dreams of the future again. And it's a gift that God offers Visions, captivating direction from God, and poured out. They were longing for His Spirit. And sometimes I think that's true of us. We long for God to show up again. We long for God's Spirit to be poured out. Now, here's the really cool deal we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. For Joel, it was, and it shall come to pass. Acts 2 shows up, and it shows the moment God says, now it is coming to pass, right? Peter stands up in Acts 2, and he says, this moment, this moment is what God talked about when he said, it shall come to pass. It's right now. You know what happened? Jesus died. Jesus rose from the grave. He beat death. He spent time with the people closest to him. And then he ascended back up into heaven. And he said, I'm sending my spirit. And it came. The spirit came. And it descended. And it looked amazing. People didn't know what to do with it. People thought, all these people are drunk. They've been overcome by something. And Peter stands up and he says, they're not drunk. It's God's spirit being poured out. This is what Joel said was coming. It's now so that you don't have to long anymore. Longing has this connection of a deep, deep desire for something that is far off. If you long for God's spirit, if you long for God in your life, you don't have to long anymore. His spirit is here. His spirit is with you. His spirit is given you don't have to long. If you're longing, listen to God's call to return. Listen to God's invitation to come and lay it down and let him meet you because the spirit has been poured out. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it says his spirit comes and dwells within you. It's not far off someday coming. It's present already right now recognize it and hear his voice it happened it's now peter says in acts 2 21 everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved and he's quoting joel everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved that doesn't mean he'll make life pretty. That means he's with you wherever you are. That you have power 
and authority that this world can't touch. You can sell your goat and your cow and your life savings and you'll never get close to it. What Jesus can give you, you can't buy. But it's better than anything you could buy. Don't skip over this. God loves you. He is with you. He delights in you. If you've surrendered to him, his spirit is in you. Turn your longing into recognition of what is. You have permission to dream. Part of the outpouring of the spirit is a permission to dream again of what could be and can be with God. You have an invitation to hear the voice of God. And there is a promise of deliverance. There is a promise of deliverance. Just like Moses at the Red Sea said, I want you to stand back and I want you to see the deliverance the Lord will give you. The question today is, what are you carrying what are you walking through? What are, we, what are you shouldering? Are you doing that on your own? And I want you to hear the invitation to be brokenhearted. The invitation to lay it down. That you don't have to carry it anymore. Whether it's sin or shame or hurt or just outright devastation. Or you feel like there's a wandering in your heart hear God calling and come and lay it down. We're going to, in a little bit, the worship team is going to come up. And for communion today, we're going to do a very simple song. And I'd say it's not as much worship as it is invitation. But there's worship in that, right? It's an invitation that I want you to hear to come and lay it down. And so I'm going to give you multiple ways to respond. If you hear God's invitation today to return, if you hear his invitation to lay it down, to take the burdens that you've been carrying by yourself and give them to him, if you need to confess something and to open it up to say, this has been holding me captive and I want to break it out. I want to be seen and I want to be known and I want to be loved. Then I want to give you an invitation today to come and lay it down. If you want to do that right in your seat, you can do that. If you want to take a physical position of kneeling where you are and kind of putting your hands out to say, I'm laying this down. Nobody else knows what's going on. That's okay. This is between me and God. You can do it. But I want to take a step further to say, if you are walking through anything and you don't want to walk through it alone anymore, you have permission and an invitation to come up front there's nothing special about up front, but a physical standing, walking somewhere where somebody will look you in the eyes and say, I want to lay it down. I want to lay it down. I don't want to carry it alone anymore. You can open up. You can pray with somebody. You can just put your head down if you need to. Make this space a space where you respond to God's invitation to return.
to lay it down. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And when the music starts, there, there are some people out here, like if you want to be available to pray with somebody, should somebody want that, I'd love for you to just come up and grab a seat on the stage. And there's no pressure, but there's invitation. Actually, I won't say there's no pressure. There's a little pressure. There's no manipulation, okay? But if God is pressing on you, don't shrug that off. If God's pressing on you, respond to it. Part of hearing God's voice is the, God, is that you? I think it might be you. And just saying, I'm going to go for it. If he's pressing on you, respond. While the music's playing, with the invitation to lay it down, we're going to celebrate communion. We have a Savior and a Lord who laid it down. Who said, I'm going to give my life for you, for yours. We're going to switch position. And when Jesus, when Jesus climbed up onto the cross, because nobody else could put him there, he did that himself. When he climbed up on the cross, he said, this is for you. And this is so that you can come to the foot of the cross and lay it down. We're going to celebrate his sacrifice. We're going to celebrate his outpouring and we celebrate the spirit among us, with us, inside us, with God's call to return. Let's pray. God, sometimes life hits us. We don't know what to do with it. Sometimes we do that ourselves. Like we willingly walk into a prison where sin catches us and holds us. And in the moment of devastation, you meet us. You come for us. You call our name. And you give us permission to not carry that alone anymore. And I pray right now, Jesus, in your name, that you would release people. Release people from a prison of isolation. That you would allow people to hear your invitation. And that you would press so hard into their heart that their hearts would be ripped open and they would experience your love when that happens. Help us as people, as individuals, and as a church to return to you. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your life given up for us. And we worship you. We thank you and we worship you. And we return to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.